Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Wow, isn't the news crazy these days? You know, Chinese spy balloons, earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, the war grinds on in Ukraine. Makes you wonder if we're not living in the end times, right? I'm persuaded that as Christians, we should have an understanding of Bible prophecy. Uh, over the years, I've taught several times through the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, those books of the Bible that have the most to do with end times events. In recent years, we've preached through First and Second Thessalonians, those two New Testament books that have to do with preparing us for the Lord's return. A number of years ago, when we were working our way through Matthew's gospel, we spent a long time in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus teaches about what it will be like in the last days and how you will know that you're living in them. Uh, there is a value in learning about such things as the tribulation to come, uh, the work of the Antichrist, what will happen at the Battle of Armageddon, the coming of the Lord. But there's also a danger, I think, in obsessing over Bible prophecy in that it can lead to speculation that goes way beyond what Scripture itself is teaching. It can lead to reading every current event as a sign of the end and worrying about when it's going to happen and, and how bad it's going to get. I recently came across an article by a guy named Josiah Hess. The title of the article was, I Grew Up Evangelical, Terrifying Rapture Films Scarred Me Forever. He talks about being raised in a home that had a whole bookshelf full of the Left Behind novels, you know, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Some of you had a shelf like that probably. Um, he watched scary movies, he said, about people getting left behind when the rapture happens, who were then tortured at the hands of the Antichrist. And then he writes, after my parents divorced and my dad moved out, mom worked around the clock at a nearby hotel while attending community college at night. I was alone a good deal of my childhood, and at least once a week, I was convinced that everyone I'd known had been raptured up to heaven, and I was about to face the violence, disease, starvation, and isolation of the seven-year tribulation. Worse, I might succumb to torture, agree to get the mark of the beast, and accept relief from momentary discomfort in exchange for an eternity of supernatural agony. He goes on to say, as an adult, I still dream of demons, hell, the mark of the beast, and the lake of fire a few times a week. Sometimes sleepwalking or sleep running out the front door convinced the Antichrist is coming to tattoo 666 on my forehead, followed by an eternity of torture in hell. This guy's got it bad. Well, I trust our study of Daniel hasn't been giving anybody nightmares. But it does raise an interesting question. That is, how should we respond to biblical prophecy? Must a grasp, a solid grasp of Bible prophecy lead to living in fear on the verge of panic? 
Or is there some other way to live with this knowledge of what is sure to come? Today we're finishing our study of the prophetic portions of the book of Daniel. We've called this series Undefeated, and we've covered uh, four prophetic visions Daniel was given by God when he was in his 60s, 70s, and 80s. They've been visions full of wild beasts representing world empires that would battle each other over the next 400 years. And then there was that vision of the little horn that would grow up and do horrible things to God's people. And while many of the prophecies in Daniel were fulfilled in the following 400 years, so that we don't need to worry about those prophecies, there was that mysterious prophecy in chapter 9 and repeated in chapter 11 about the 70th week when the end will come with a flood dominated by the Antichrist, bringing horrible desolations and abominations. As a matter of fact, that's a prophecy that Jesus himself pointed to and said that those things are still to come. In addition to all of that, there has been in this final vision of Daniel, a vision of angels and demons battling each other in heavenly realms, a vision of a man whose appearance was so radiant and glorious that it it left Daniel without strength. In fact, there are at least three places in these prophetic visions of Daniel that he was so disturbed by what he saw and heard that he could barely function, sometimes for days on end. So maybe the guy in the article had it right. You know, spending too much time in Bible prophecy is kind of like going to a horror show, and it should leave you feeling panicked and fearful. Well, some of the prophecies of Scripture are disturbing, and they are meant to serve as a warning to those who don't know God, but they are the ones least likely to pay attention to them. That's what we're going to find in the passage we're looking at today. And what this final passage in Daniel has to say to those of us who do know God is that there is no need for us to panic. There's no need for us to panic. Now, Daniel has just described four mind-blowing visions of the future that have often left him shaken and upset. But here's how the book of Daniel ends. It's instruction about what Daniel's supposed to do with all this prophecy that he has received. We're looking today at Daniel chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, just the last 10 verses of Daniel. I'm going to read them, and then we'll come back and discuss them. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. Remember, this fourth vision was, was at, beside a stream that Daniel saw in his vision. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, this is likely that same character as appeared earlier in the vision, in, who was in, gleaming in appearance. We'll talk about him in a few moments. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up, sealed until the time of the end. 
Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Now, there are two questions that were asked in these verses. Did you notice them? The first question is asked by one of the angels who has been part of Daniel's vision all along, and the other question is asked by Daniel himself. The angel's question is put to the man clothed in linen, uh, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? In other words, when's all this going down, right? How soon are the wheels going to start coming off? How, How long do we have until the end? That's the when question. The other question is Daniel's question in verse 8. He asks, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Daniel's asking kind of the what question. What's going to happen? How bad's it going to get? How's it all going to turn out? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us? Aren't those the two questions that people ask when they start getting interested in Bible prophecy? When's it all going to happen? And how bad's it going to be? What's going to happen to us? And the answers that Daniel gets here have a very calming effect on him. Instead of getting all worked up and worried and and panicked about future events he can't fully grasp, he's essentially told there's no need for him to panic. He can go his way and live the rest of his life in peace. And I think it's fair to say that if we know God, we can approach the end times prophecies the same way. There is no need for us to panic. Why? Well, I think there are at least two reasons given in these final verses of Daniel. Firstly, we don't need to panic because God has control of the future. God has control of the future. Now, this has been a prominent theme all through these last six chapters of Daniel. God has given Daniel prophetic insight into what would happen in the world for the next 400 years after his time, how the Babylonian Empire would fall to the Persian Empire, and then how the Persian Empire would fall to the Greek Empire, and then how the Roman Empire would eventually rule the world. In chapter 11 alone, as we saw last week, there were 135 prophecies predicting in detail events that would take place over a 160-year period between two factions of Greek kings, the Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids in Syria with Israel caught in the crossfire. 135 detailed prophecies that Daniel looked ahead prophetically, not able to understand exactly what all that meant. We look back historically at how everything that God showed Daniel came true down to the smallest detail. And it gives us assurance that our God is in control of human history. He writes the script to turn out as he says it should. And the fact that so many prophecies have already been fulfilled with such incredible accuracy gives us confidence that while we better trust that the prophecies that remain are going to be fulfilled, if God has already fulfilled all those, we can be sure that the prophecies that remain are are going to be fulfilled. And we're talking here, for instance, about Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week, a time of trouble such as the world has never seen and never will see again, a time dominated by the Antichrist who will suddenly meet his end. Jesus himself was confident 
that as surely as all those other prophecies had been fulfilled, so would be the prophecies that remain. As Jesus put it, when he was asked how we would know when the end had come, when the, when the time of the end had come, among other things, he, he referred to Daniel. He said, so when you see the abomination of desolation, namely the Antichrist, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, and let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In other words, he's saying, hey, you want to know about the end? Pay attention to Daniel. When you see happening what Daniel talked about, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, get out of town. It's going to be bad. But the whole tone of Jesus' answer to people who want to know more about the signs of the end, when's this going to happen and what's it going to be like? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus basically says, relax, there are more important things for you to worry about right now. Yeah, there there are going to be lots of people running around down through the ages claiming to be the Christ, that Christ has returned. Jesus says, don't go out to them. They're they're false Christ. Don't believe that. You're going to hear about all kinds of wars and rumors of wars. You're going to hear about famines and earthquakes in various places. Don't be alarmed by any of that stuff. That's not the end, Jesus says. Those are just the beginning of birth pangs. And not only that, but you're going to hear about Christians being persecuted and being put to death, and you're going to think the end must be upon us. Jesus said, no, that's going to happen. It's going to happen for a good long while. All the while the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the world to all the nations, and only then the end will come, and you'll know it because you'll see what Daniel, the prophet, talked about, the Antichrist setting himself up to be worshipped in the temple. Then you'll know the end has come. And so when the when question is asked again here in Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 6, it's interesting that the one who answers, this man dressed in linen, who appears earlier in the vision as a person depicted as gleaming in appearance, many scholars take that, as we pointed out before, to be a Christophany, an appearance of Christ prior to his incarnation. So this is likely Jesus, before he became Jesus, born a baby in Bethlehem, he's answering a very similar question to the one he's asked during his earthly ministry in Matthew 24. And someone said to him, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. You know, you take an oath, you raise one hand, right? You take a really solemn oath, you raise both hands. He raises both hands to the one who sits in heaven, namely, he takes an oath before the Father himself and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half times. And that when the shattering of the power of the Holy One comes to an end, uh, the Holy People comes to an end, that is when the, the, the tribulation of God's people comes to an end, then all these things would be finished. Now, did you notice that the the man dressed in linen doesn't actually answer the when question? Why? For the same reason that Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, when he was asked, when are these things going to happen? He said to his disciples, I don't know. Only the Father knows for sure when these things are going to happen. But what Daniel is told here is something not so much about when it's going to start, but more likely how long it's going to go on. Namely, the worst of the tribulation. That last half of the the 70th week of Daniel, when 
the horrors inflicted on God's people by the Antichrist are going to be at their worst. It'll last for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half times, perhaps three and a half years, the last half of Daniel's 70th week. In other words, it won't go on forever, God is saying. God will have his hand on the timer. In fact, God will cut short that time and bring the Antichrist to an abrupt end, never to bother Israel again, when, as it says, all these things would be finished. So the answer to the when question is essentially, look, God's chosen people will have to endure horrible things for a time, time, and half a time, but it will end. It won't go on forever, and it will all turn out right because our God is in control of the future. So if we could bring the picture of Nick Foles up, you knew I'd get it in there somewhere, right? So uh, five years ago, those of us who are Eagles fans took great delight in the Eagles' first Super Bowl win with, with Nick Foles you know, leading the team and scoring a touchdown in the Philly special that has now become famous. And um, I remember watching that game five years ago with my family. I'll be watching with them tonight, the Super Bowl again. And, and I remember watching that game, though, the first time, boy, and it was nerve-wracking, right? It was a back-and-forth affair, pretty high-scoring. The Patriots would go ahead, the Eagles would come back, the Patriots would go ahead, Eagles would come back, and then the Eagles were holding this tenuous lead toward the end of the game, and, and I remember just sitting on the edge of my seat, and, and my blood pressure's through the roof, and, and we're watching, you know, as finally, in the last nine seconds, Tom Brady throws this long pass into the end zone, and it gets batted around by a couple of players, and then finally falls to the ground, and there was great rejoicing, right? The Eagles had won. What a relief that was. You know what? I could go back and watch that same game and take just as much pleasure watching a game, but without the nerves. <laughs> I love watching the replay. Why? Because I know how it's going to end. Folks, I think that's the approach that we can take where Bible prophecy is concerned. You know, it, it talks about how there are going to be some really weird things going on, some hard times that folks are going to face, but... In the end, we don't need to worry so much because we already know how it's all going to turn out. As a matter of fact, tonight is Super Bowl 57, uh, Eagles playing that other team. And, <laughs> and uh, I know that tonight I will sit there and watch this game in a very similar fashion. You know, until it's all finally said and done, I'm going to be a nervous wreck, not knowing how it's going to turn out. Interestingly, there are some people on the internet who are saying that the whole thing is rigged. The, the game has been fixed they, they claim to have come across a secret uh, NFL memo that's been passed around with the script that has the Eagles winning 37 to 34. The, the, the score is predetermined. Um, you know, think that if you want. But my point is that when it comes to Bible prophecy, guess what? It is rigged. The script has already been written. And guess what? In the end, Jesus wins. Our God has control of history, and we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be upset. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to panic. So we don't need to panic, first, because God has control of history. But here's the second reason why we need not panic, and that is because God has secured our destiny. Not only is he in control of history, but he has already secured our destiny 
Look at verse 8 where Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. I just didn't get this time, time and half of times thing. Aren't you glad that Daniel didn't get it? I mean, it kind of makes you feel not so dumb when you read Bible prophecy and go, huh? Daniel said, I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He's asking the what question. What's going to happen? How bad is it going to get? And here's the answer he gets in verse 9 from the man dressed in linen, from the Lord Jesus himself. He said, go your way, Daniel. Go your way. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So basically, having recorded these prophecies for future generations who, would, who should heed them, Daniel is told, now seal them up and keep them safe in a safe place where people in the end times can access them. You don't need to worry about any of that anymore. Just go your way, Daniel. Don't panic. Don't obsess over what you've seen. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to figure out the timing of it all. Don't worry about how bad it's going to get. Just go and live your life the way you've always lived it, as a faithful servant of God. Because we know from the earlier chapters of Daniel how Daniel lived his life. He was devoted to God. He was faithful in prayer. He was uncompromising in his obedience. And so God can safely say to Daniel, just go your way, Daniel. Go your way. Just keep being faithful. And then it says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined. There'll be many like you who will live faithful lives. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. In the days until these prophecies are meant to come to pass, Daniel, many will live faithful lives, washed clean of sin, refined as silver is refined by fire until it reflects the face of the refiner. That's a worthwhile aspiration for us, don't you think? Rather than becoming an end times prophecy answer man, I would much rather spend my days walking with Jesus, knowing I'm washed clean by his blood, growing in godliness as I yield to the control of his spirit living in me until that day when the refiner himself looks in the molten silver of my life and sees his own reflection looking back, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Daniel is told, you know, many will do that. Many will live that kind of life, but not the wicked. The wicked will act wickedly. Wicked is as wicked does. (laughs) In fact, Scripture tells us that in the end times, there will be terrible times when people will go from bad to worse as they reject God and everything that God stands for. The wicked will have Daniel's prophecies to warn them, but they won't pay attention to them. They won't heed them. They won't understand them. Case in point... I don't know if any of you bothered to watch the Grammys last week, but there's this story that came out of the Grammys of how Sam Smith and Kim Petras delivered a raunchy performance of Smith's best-selling single, a song called Unholy. During the awards show, Sam Smith was dressed as the devil, while dancers dressed as demons seemed to bow down before him in worship. Before the performance, Smith tweeted out, this is going to be special, followed by a devil emoji. And the official CBS Twitter account tweeted back, you can say that again, let's get ready to worship. The wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. 
But those who are wise shall understand. Those who don't know God will have Daniel's prophecies to warn them, but they won't benefit from them. They won't understand them. They'll just laugh at the idea of, of Antichrist and tribulation and, and, the, and Satan and hell. It's a joke to them. Those who are wise, though, shall understand. As Jesus said, the wise homeowner will always be vigilant, living in a state of readiness, because the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The wise take seriously the need to keep watch. The wise persevere in knowing that the Lord is in control. Verse 11 goes on to say, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, those are two indicators that the great tribulation has started. The sacrifices are cut off and the, and the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped. From that time there shall be 1,290 days Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. What's going on there? Well, you know, scholars debate this and, and they wonder what this is all about. But go back to the time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Prophetic years are 360 days. Time, time, and half a time uh, comes out to 1,260 days, three and a half years. So what's this 1,290 days or 1,335 days? I think what this is saying is to God's people who will go through that time, hang in there, persevere. It's not going to go on forever because on the other side of this terrible time, say 1,290 days from now or 1,335 days, another month or two, things are going to be unbelievably good. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. Some think this is a reference to the fact that you know, once the tribulation is over and the Antichrist has been dealt with, then there's going to be a transition period that will bring in the millennial kingdom where the Messiah will reign on earth. But the point is, God's hand is on the timer. The outcome has already been determined and our destiny is secure. And so Daniel is told in the last verse of the book, but go your way till the end. This is the second time he's told, just go your way, Daniel. Don't panic, don't fret, just go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel, you just stay faithful for the remainder of your days. You're, you're not going to live long enough to see all these prophecies take place. You're gonna rest for a good long time in the grave, but your destiny is secure because a day of resurrection is coming. As we were, talk, we were told back in verses two and three of this chapter, where it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's what awaits you, Daniel. You go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And you know what? That can be our assurance too. Whether we live long enough to see end times prophecy fulfilled in our days or whether we go home to be with Jesus before it all goes down, we are promised in God's word. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So the important question today is not, do you have your Bible prophecy all figured out? Because I'm pretty sure that even those who think they do have it all figured out are probably going to be wrong. The question is, not do you have your Bible prophecy all figured out, but are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, your destiny is secure. You'll awake on resurrection day to everlasting life. If you're not in Christ, you'll awake to a judgment of shame and everlasting contempt. If you belong to Christ, if you're in Christ, there's no need to panic. If you don't belong to Christ, the prophecies of Scripture should scare you. See, God doesn't want that for anyone. But some are going to choose that by virtue of their rejection of him. God's desire is that all who come to him in faith should be saved. Because, you know, the basic story is that God created us in his image to live in beautiful fellowship with him forever. But we blew it when we fell into sin. And, and all of us follow in Adam's sinful line. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all do things, say things, think things that violate God's holy law. And because of that, we deserve God's judgment. But God loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us that way. And so he determined to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. By sending his son, the second person of the Trinity, whose life was of infinite worth to come into this world and become a man to become a person like you and me, and to represent humanity. He was just like us, except that he never sinned. Through his entire life, he obeyed his heavenly Father in everything. And all he ever did was heal the sick and, and feed the hungry and make the blind to see and the lame to walk. He even raised the dead, calm storms on the sea. He taught the most marvelous teaching the world has ever heard. And for that, they nailed him to a Roman cross. And he's made to die. He went to that cross willingly. Not because he had any sin to pay for. But because he knew it was the only way that all of our sin could be paid for. He gave that life of infinite worth as payment for your sin and mine. They put him in a cold stone tomb. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Victor over sin and death. And now he offers the forgiveness of sin and, and eternal life to all who believe in his name. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And so, you know, that's what we want for everyone here. We don't want you living in fear and terror and panic, especially when it comes to thinking about, you know, prophecies of days to come. We want you secure in the knowledge that you are in Christ. And if there's any doubt in your mind about that, if you're wondering, well, how, how can I be sure that I'm in Christ? How can I be sure that that, uh, that that destiny in heaven awaits me? Would you come and see me after the service? I've got a little book I'd love to put in your hand that will explain more about how you can be sure of your relationship with God. Just come up to me after the service and say, hey, can I have one of those books? And I'll be happy to provide one for you. Because as we conclude this look at some of the most terrifying prophecies in Scripture... 
Our hope is not that you'll go away with nightmares of Antichrist hunting you down to torture you, but that you'll have freedom to go your way, as Daniel was encouraged to do, to live out your days as a devoted follower of Jesus, living wisely, pursuing righteousness, waiting expectantly for his return, sharing the good news of Christ to all those around you in the realization that there is no need for us who are in Christ to panic because our God has control of the future and our God has secured our destiny. You know, I think about poor Josiah Hess and how all worked up he gets thinking about the end times, blaming it on his evangelical upbringing. Well, I was raised in an evangelical home too. We had a bookshelf full of books that included things like Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. I remember reading that as a teenager. I remember going to a prophecy conference when I was just a little kid in our local church. They had these huge boards you know, like eight feet high, all across the front of the auditorium, depicting in graphic detail, in multicolored detail, all of the events of the end times, all worked out in the timeline, teaching us uh, from beginning to end exactly what's going to happen each step of the way. I remember going to that conference. I remember watching some of those early rapture films. Some of you might remember Thief in the Night or Distant Thunder. And uh, I have to say that for all of that upbringing, i I don't remember ever panicking, thinking about end times Bible prophecy. I don't remember ever worrying about it. And in fact, I think it was because uh, from a very young age, I had come to trust Christ as my Savior, and I, I knew I was in Christ. In fact, I remember how in the summertime in our house, uh, it would be very, very warm because we didn't have air conditioning on a warm summer night. It would be muggy. And if it was a still night and there wasn't much of a breeze, you know, we'd have our windows open as far as they would go, but it didn't really help. And so it was hard to sleep. And I remember maybe as a 10 or 12-year-old kid sitting on the edge of my bed, putting my elbows on the windowsill and looking out into the dark of the summer night, listening to the crickets and hearing a train whistle, you know, coming nearer. But my focus visually was always on the local airport. You know, Illinois, where I grew up, was very, very flat, and you could see forever. So about three miles south of where I lived, there was the municipal airport, and the beacon on top of the, the, the hangar would go round and round, identifying the airport for passing aircraft. But then I'd, I'd look above the airport beacon, and there would be airliners lining up for their final approach to Midway Airport in Chicago, which was maybe about 30 miles to the north and west of us. And I watched those airliners uh, lining up on their final approach, and occasionally one of them would, would get pointed directly at me, and, and their, the headlight would be so brilliant and bright, and it would just be radiant in the dark summer sky. And I watched those. I knew what they were. I knew they were airplanes. But I'd think to myself, what if that wasn't an airplane? What if one of those lights turned about to be the Lord Jesus coming in all of his glory to take us back to be with him forever? And you know what? I thought that'd be pretty great. Pretty great. Because I think of the end of John's revelation where the Lord Jesus himself says, surely I am coming soon. 
And what's John's response? I think it should be the response of all of God's people. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And the answer is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Father, for all these weeks, we have been looking at prophecies, some fulfilled and some yet to be fulfilled, some of them really, really disturbing, and yet in all of it, we are grateful, those of us who are in Christ, to know that there is no need to panic because you're in control of the future, and you have secured our destiny because of what Jesus did for us in giving his life of infinite worth on the cross as the only sufficient payment for our sins. Father, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for all the the good things that you've done for us in Christ, for all the good things you continue to do for us in Christ. And for those who don't yet know Christ, Lord, we pray that this time in the Word today would would just stimulate their thinking and put them on a path of discovery such that they too will come to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and look forward to the day of His appearing, that one in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.